Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome in. World Soccer Talk Radio here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. It's Tony Kornheiser's favorite soccer show. It's Piers Morgan's favorite Europa League show. Hell, it's Ted Vesterveld's favorite MLS program. We're going big. World Soccer Talk Radio back with you. Thanks for subscribing to us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. And, of course, checking out the website, worldsoccertalk.com. My name is Nate Abaurea, your humble host of this program that I am so grateful that you are listening to. So good to be back with you. We've got a great guest for you today that's going to be with us, Joe Tolleson. All you fans of NYCFC, you Bronx Bombers, you soccer Bronx Bombers. Got to specify there. Yankee Stadium has a couple of tenants these days. Joe Tolleson, the play-by-play voice of NYCFC, and you also know his work from Sirius XMFC. And we're going to be talking all about the opening match from a few days ago from NYCFC and what this season has in store for this club in its second season of existence in Major League Soccer after the troubles that they uh, got themselves into, shall we say, last year and uh, after some of the speed bumps that were hit at high speed uh, with the likes of Frank Lampard and... Even Mr. Pirlo, David Villa, not really with uh, too many problems last year, but what an opener for NYCFC, 4-3 over the Chicago Fire. We'll talk about that match with Joe Tolleson and a whole lot more relating to NYCFC, the Patrick Vieira reign. Here is it, is in its first few months of, of Vieira managerial time at Yankee Stadium and the... NYCFC squad getting ready to play their home opener here in a few days and we'll talk all about what Vieira is doing to adapt to Major League Soccer. Is there really an adaptation process that is neat? He did. I'll get Joe Tollison's take on that. We'll also talk about the Yankee Stadium situation. Something that, that puzzles me. It's very interesting. How important is a soccer-specific stadium for this club? How soon will it happen? And hey, Joe, what's it like calling matches at Yankee Stadium? We're back after this right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. It's the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Joe Tollison with us after this. I ran 
to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again! Oh, yes. I love when we had Martin Tyler on the show, and he says that every time since that day back in 2012, every time he calls a Sergio Aguero goal, he's judged by his colleagues by how many O's he, he puts on the end of the call. Nate Abarea back here with you on World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports Byline, Broadcasting Network, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. Our guest in this edition of the show is the play-by-play voice of NYCFC, and you know him from Sirius XMFC as well, Joe Tolleson. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Not a problem. How's everything today? Going pretty well, so quite the season opener for, for you behind the microphone and quite the season well, opener I, for NYCFC. So much for, so much for easing into this thing. Well, you can say so much for easing in, but the thing that struck me was, you know, you go through an off season of Patrick Vieira comes in, um, they're looking to bring in these different players, they're trying to shore up the defense, this, that, and the other. And yes, they tried to bring in players. I'm not so sure after one game, and maybe that one game's unfair to make the judgment on, that they've truly shored up the defense. Um, but that was really, if you take a look at the players who were on the field, the only changes from guys who were on the roster last season. Now, admittedly, Tony Taylor didn't play a lot last season, but he was on the roster, was three guys in the back. Uh, and then because of an injury to Andone Iraola, they had to get Jason Hernandez back in a center-back position. So what struck me as odd in that first game was as much as there was talk about an off-season of change, and albeit it was there with Patrick Vieira, it was a lot of the song remains the same, although they got a different result in this opener. They were able to get the goals up front, and that's where I think the big difference was, Nate. The movement they had up front, the ability to find some space, and what we'll have to find out as we get in, uh, to the schedule here, how much of that was improvement offensively by NYCFC, or how much do Chicago fans have to fear for the rest of the season? Well, we, we always need to be careful to not overanalyze things after just one game, but you make a few really good points there. And again, the, the more of the same fear. And when you see the season opener ending with a 4-3 scoreline, if you're an NYCFC fan and you're thinking, oh God, here we go again. For a neutral, you got to be looking at that thing going, God, I think I want to watch quite a few NYCFC games this year. Uh, and you know what? You do want to watch the games because the fact of the matter is NYCFC really was efficient in converting on the chances they had. I think they had five, maybe six really good scoring chances. They end up with four goals. Chicago has three on the day. They end up losing. But once again, like we saw so often last season, and there was a reason he was the team's defensive player of the year, Josh Saunders stood on his head a couple of times, made some great saves, and as a, I think he had six in the game. And so as a result, that easily could have been, you know, four, five, or six goals for Chicago if Saunders doesn't come up big. So the excitement's going to be there. Um, if I'm, you know, if you're that diehard NYCFC fan, I think your concern is I don't know if we can outscore players every, uh, outscore opponents every week. But right now, it doesn't seem like they have things in place to shut the opposition down. 
Joe, how's Patrick Vieira handling all this? And, and how much do you think Patrick Vieira really knows about the, the problems and some of the shortcomings from last year? How much do you think he's really trying to, to change things? Or is he coming in, seeing the squad going, hey, I guess I got to play the game that, that we're able to play, which is a, a high-scoring, high-tempo, exciting brand of soccer. How do you think he's adapting to all of this? Uh, I think he's actually doing all right. And the thing is, to, to keep in mind, it is um, early in the season for him, you know, because of the way the uh, CBA rules are with the amount of time players have to have off and whatnot. Um, he is really trying to not only institute the system that he wants the team to play, but he, he's also trying to change the culture of this team a little bit. Um, and just to give you an idea, in the preseason, it was very much about this is the team. It is all about the team. So where last season, and again, we can have the debate later about what's the right or wrong method. Uh, but last season, basically it was, hey, breakfast at the hotel is between, you know, we'll have things set up between 8 and 9.30, come and whatever. With Patrick Vieira, breakfast is at 8 o'clock. Everybody's expected to be there at that time. You don't start eating until the last guy gets there. You don't leave and go back to your room and do whatever else until the last guy's finished eating. It's all about the team to the point that when they were down in Florida for preseason training, they got up early, the coaching staff, drove a half hour out to the training pitch, set everything up to get everything ready for that morning's practice, went back to the hotel. So there's an hour round trip right there, had the meal with the team, and then, hey, let's everybody get on the bus go back out to the training facility. So he spent an hour and a half each morning going, coming back, and going a second time for training to make sure that the coaching staff is all there so they're there for the team meal because the team comes first with this guy. How are the players responding to all of this and this change in culture that you speak of, Joe? Well, you know what? I think the change, frankly, comes with, the players who are kind of used to, for lack of a better term, the way they do things in MLS across, and, and maybe not necessarily across the board, I think for the likes of David Villa or Pirlo or Lampard, this is kind of the way things are done in a club environment in Europe. And, again, when it's coming from Patrick Vieira, and let's, you know, he has the benefit, in a way, of his playing pedigree and everything he did. He's just a beast of a guy. I mean, he walks in the room and his presence alone, he's what, 6'4, you know, 200, 210 pounds, and he walks in and that guy is there. And I don't know that there's a player on that team that can challenge him. Josh Saunders, I think, is the only guy that could look him eye to eye, uh, him and, and the backup keeper, Eric Johansson. So, you know, the guy comes in and has a presence and an aura in and of himself. Um, he's not. I don't know that I'd say at least the, the times I've encountered him. I don't know if I'd ever get the impression that he's this fiery, yelling, shouting, let's pump him up kind of guy. Um, but he is definitely one of those E.F. Hutton kind of guys. And when he talks, people listen. Absolutely. Now, now, when the hire first happened uh, a few months ago, when it first went public, my first response was, oh, my God, we got to figure out a way to get Roy Keane in charge uh, at the New York Red Bull so we can have Keane and Vieira going toe-to-toe in, uh, in a little New York derby. But going back a few months, Joe, what was your first response to seeing this hire and kind of comparing, contrasting some of the things that you just touched on and how things are going here in the present day? Go back a few months. How were you feeling when this was first announced that Patrick Vieira, of all people, was going to be the manager of this team? 
Well, there had been some rumblings that, that things were in the works, and you know, we got to a point late in the season, um, you know, that I think the gut feeling was if this team didn't really go on a run and make the playoffs, they were going to make a coaching change. And and again, we can have that argument of is that you know wild expectations for an expansion team in its first year in MLS to say, hey, if we don't make the playoffs, it's not a successful season. Frankly, I think that shows a little disrespect to the rest of the league. This isn't 1997 when Chicago came into the league and went on to MLS Cup and to win the thing. It's a little different environment now and a lot more competitive. Um, but that said, there were rumblings that there were going to be a change. You know, I don't think it's a secret uh, that Manchester City, down the road, perhaps envisions Patrick Vieira as the manager of that club. And the big thing that you have to do for a lot of guys, and especially for somebody who played as long as he did uh, and doesn't have a ton of experience as an assistant coach, or in his case, the academy coach, um, you need to get him you know, a place for him to cut his teeth, so to speak. And I think that's what they see here. Let's put him in charge of a first team, albeit MLS, and you know, it's, you know, let's not pretend that it's the same as being a manager in the Premier League because the job of a coach in MLS is a little bit different uh, than a manager in the Premier League. But that said, let him come over, work with guys. What I find interesting in the whole thing, you look at kind of the two big coaching signings that people said, wow, I didn't see that uh, to a degree, or surprised that that person would come to MLS. It's Vieira in New York City and Velko Paunovic in Chicago. And what I find interesting in both hires, they went out and found a guy with experience in Europe but who has made a name for himself teaching younger players. Panovic, of course, taking Serbia to the Under-20 World Cup, and Vieira at the Manchester City Development Academy. And I think that's what this league needs. You need somebody who can understand the elite player, work them into a system, but can still teach the other guys on the roster because that league still needs some of it. This league still needs some of it. Joe, we've got about two minutes before we got to head to break here, and I want to go back to something that you just touched on, and, and that is the Manchester City hopes long-term of Patrick Vieira potentially being a, a Premier League manager at the Etihad. How evident on a day-to-day basis, and, and you're so much closer to this club uh, than I and, and many of the listeners, how evident, how apparent is that Manchester City relationship, that Manchester City presence with NYCFC and the, the day-to-day activities of Major League Soccer for this club? Well, I wouldn't say so much of the day-to-day, um, because once you get on the ground, wherever you're at in this country, or if you're in Australia uh, with the Sydney team and, and whatnot, um, day-to-day you're going to have to do what you think is right for your team on that, on that given day. And I think Patrick Vieira uh, has been given carte blanche to a degree to say, evaluate the talent, how do you make it work? There may be some marching orders of you have to figure out a way to get Via Lampard and Andrea Pirlo on the field all at the same time and make it work because of the money we're paying them. And I don't know that the 4-3-3 that they started with against Chicago is going to be able to make all that work. I don't know that you, at this point in his career, can rely on Pirlo in that kind of central midfield role if he has to help out the back line. He's long past the days, if he ever was, of being a box-to-box guy. But that said, I think from a long-term planning perspective, there are some areas where Manchester City says this is the direction we want this club to go, and part of that is we think the best way to make it a winner 
is to get a guy in who has the experience both as a player and what we believe he's learned in our development academy and Patrick Vieira and let him take charge of things. So in big picture planning things, I think Manchester City is very involved day to day. They're relying on the people they hired on the ground here in the U.S. to get the job done. His name is Joe Tsolison. My name is Nate Abarea. On the other side of this break here on World Soccer Talk Radio, we're heading into the broadcast booth at Yankee Stadium. That's right. Stay tuned. Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. We're back after this. Barea and Joe Tolleson back here with you on World Soccer Talk Radio Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. And as promised, it's time to take a trip now up into the broadcast booth at Yankee Stadium. Joe, what is it like calling soccer matches in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium? Uh, the fact that you're, you know, one of the iconic sports facilities in this country, frankly, is pretty cool. Uh, it's a terrific game day experience. You know, the, you know, they have a 20,000 season ticket base. Um, the fans have come out, at, you know, depending on the weather, the day, um, the opponent, whatnot, whether it's, you know, 27, 28,000, you know, they've had up to, you know, 45,000 fans. It can be a fantastic environment. Uh, but let's be honest, it's a baseball stadium, and, and there's so many people both in the club and, uh, you know, who are there covering the club and around. That's, Kind of one of the comments you'll hear most often if you come to a game at Yankee Stadium is, boy, what would this, it's a great environment. What would it be like if it was in a proper soccer stadium where you're not in, you know, kind of the prime seats that normally would be kind of between the 18s? You're a little further from the field. The seats where you're really close are the ones where you're behind the end line, behind the goal line, because that's where the layout of the field is puts the fans the closest to the action and, and out kind of in the, the right field bleachers that they have out there, puts you right behind the player benches. But really the downside of that is just trying to put a field into the configuration of what Yankee Stadium is for baseball, keeps some of the fans a little far from the action. So when they finally get this, you know, a new stadium situation ironed out, because uh, right now it's only a three-year deal to be at Yankee Stadium, uh, and that was to give them time to, you know, get a shovel in the ground and get a stadium built. They can do a proper stadium. I think the atmosphere, you know, will rival that of any other team in the league. Joe, you talk about the fans sometimes, depending on where they're at in the stadium, being a little bit too far away from the action. What's your vantage point like when you're calling these matches at Yankee Stadium? Yeah, we're in the baseball press box area, so that actually puts us um, – the you know the the touchline opposite from the benches, um, but still kind of within the 18, uh, just up from the corner flag because of where we are. What would kind of be behind home plate at Yankee Stadium? So admittedly not the most ideal environment, um, but I think for the amenities that you need for a broadcast, uh, whether it's the power, um, the setup, because we're on Yes Network and we work from the booth that they have. Uh, for Yankee games, all the infrastructure they have within that, to move us to another part of the stadium and try and get that all set up or potentially you know, incur the expense that they do, say that the NHL does when they do these outdoor games and they put the network guys out on a, 
a riser or a scaffolding kind of thing closer to the rink. Um, to put something like that out, uh, you know, I think might be a, a bigger logistical thing um, than maybe people think that it's worth. Um, but so we're kind of in that corner, uh, but at least for the time being, you find a way to make it work. Well, the last question relating to the NYCFC situation as far as the stadium goes, I really want to talk with you about your fantastic work with Sirius XM FC over the last few years. How near are we to a soccer-specific stadium from your view with what you're hearing with NYCFC actually having a soccer-specific stadium, Joe? Uh, I, I wish I had an answer for you. There's some various different sites. I think um, the big stumbling block really that the team is coming up against right now, and I don't necessarily disagree with them, uh, they really want to find a stadium site that keeps them within the five boroughs of New York City, and frankly, we're probably talking about four of the five boroughs in New York City because I don't know that Staten Island really is a viable option <laughs> uh, because, because you take so much of, of mass transit out of it. Um, you know, one idea initially was when they, when they built this new Yankee Stadium, they have a couple of parking garages, and one idea that was floated out was that apparently the parking garages are not being used the way the city and, you know, the planners thought when they built two parking garages by Yankee Stadium. And one of them apparently is, in, in essence, losing money based on the bonds and all that they had to issue to build it. So there was one talk of saying, look, we're losing money here, so why don't we get rid of the parking garage and put in the stadium that we can make money off of that plot of land, in essence. And basically what you'd have would be Yankee Stadium, and then right there in that same vicinity is where they would build the soccer stadium. They're running up against some opposition there. Um, and really I think that's the big thing um, that they're probably trying to work through is that whole not-in-my-backyard philosophy uh, but right now, we don't have any specific idea exactly where a site would be or when construction would begin. We just don't have an answer. If they're further along in that process than we know right now, that's uh, just because it's information they haven't shared with people. Well, I do love the idea of, of Staten Island FC someday, someday existing <laughs> in, in American soccer. We'll have, to, we'll have to wait for that one. That would be quite the club. I feel like they would be quite the rugged, rugged club. That's where Roy Keane would, would be the manager. All right, it's time to well, shift yeah, over to right your right there on the landfill. <laughs> time to shift over to your work with Sirius XM FC Joe and and talk about how you've helped to develop this channel and and develop the network into to such an impressive array of of shows. We we've had everybody from Beyond the Pitch, Counterattack, the the Football Ramble. We've had so many show hosts from Sirius XM FC on this program and and talk about how you started with the effort as the program director to to really build this thing up. Well, I started three years ago with basically the initial contact from a couple of guys there in their sports department um, was an initial contact was, hey, would you be available to do uh, some fill-in hosting? And one conversation led to another, and they said, oh, we need to find uh, somebody new to run the channel. The guy we had doing it is moving on. Uh, and I said, are you opposed to having one of your hosts do that job? Um, and long story short, they end up hiring me. And when we started, uh, we had the football show in the morning. We had counterattack in the afternoon. A couple days a week, we had an, an hour of men and blazers uh, before they went down to the Olympics for ESPN and then went off to NBC Sports Network uh, and decided that everything they had going on with all their TV obligations 
uh, meant that they couldn't devote any time for us, and that's the only reason uh, that we lost that show. And then it was from that point saying, you know, how do we build this out um, and try and find a balance? And that really was the big challenge is finding a balance um, to cover the European leagues and specifically, you know, the Premier League um, to a lesser degree, La Liga and Serie A, get the Champions League and all that in, and still make sure um, that we're covering what I think is a very important and vital part of what we're trying to do and what's going to help the game in this country, and that is serve the fans in this country who are fans of the game as it's being played in this country. And, you know, that's specifically with Major League Soccer, um, the U.S. soccer with the national teams, both men and women. Uh, you know, we're one of the few places out there, um, as you know, that anybody goes out and says, hey, we want to talk to the under-20 coaches, we want to talk to the under-17 guys. Uh, and then what other things can we do um, to, in, in essence, find the niche programming within a niche? Uh, and one of those, for example, would be a coaching show that we just started, the Coaching Academy, uh, with former Rutgers head coach Glenn Crooks, who was the one who recruited Carly Lloyd in college. Uh, and then we saw what she did with the women's national team, of course. Um, but to, to take an hour out of 168 hours in a week um, and try and find some time where the people who are involved in the game from the lowest levels on up can maybe, um, whether it's they hear it live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern or they pick it up on our uh, on-demand or, online or our mobile phone app, um, find that content that helps them with some new knowledge that they can take onto the field uh, and hopefully coach the next superstars. Well, Joe, whether it's coaches, whether it's fans of Major League Soccer with the Copa America, the Euros, and even the Olympics going on here this summer, I know it's going to be a massive few months for everybody over there at Sirius XM FC. Best of luck this summer. Look forward to having you on the show again, and best of luck calling the NYCFC matches this season. Joe, thank you so much. You bet. Appreciate the time. Again, that was Joe Tolleson. Catch him on the Yes Network, the play-by-play voice of NYCFC, and be sure to listen to all those fantastic programs on Sirius XM FC. We're back after this on World Soccer Talk Radio Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Forty thousand Liverpool fans inside here hold their breath. Hundreds of thousands. Hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three. Three is safe. And Alonso follows it in. It's wonderful. You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Hey, another huge thank you to Joe Tolleson for joining us again. Be sure to check out his work on the S Network, the play-by-play voice of NYCFC and the program director at Sirius XM FC. That's a whole lot of FCs, and they are all quite good. Well, we'll, we'll wait to see how good NYCFC is this year, but after one match, a 4-3 victory over the Chicago Fire, it seems like it could be a lot more of the same after some of those speed bumps for NYCFC last year, but if it's some more of the same and not all of the same, would you take it if you're an NYCFC fan? And by that, I mean not a lot of defense, not a lot of defensive prowess, maybe not anything that would go on a uh, Jose Mourinho defensive clinic video or, or anything like that, but you're winning the seven-goal game as opposed to losing the seven-goal game. You play to win the game. You play to get the points. If you could win every match 3-2 or 4-3, 
I'm sure you would take it if you were an NYCFC fan. I don't know if Patrick Vieira necessarily wants to go through an entire season of 4-3 victories and, and high goal scoring roller coaster rides of matches, but we shall see. Like we said there with Joe, and, and Joe, Joe said this as well, and, and he's the, the broadcaster for this club. He definitely wants to see this club succeed. But if you're a neutral, you got to be loving NYCSC. You got to be loving the, the, the circus of last year. And as it eases in and, and the ship steadies this year, I'm telling you, this stuff's entertaining. And whether it's Lampard, whether it's Pirlo, whether it's David Villa, whether it's Poku, whether it's Mixed Discarude, whether it's our old pal from San Jose, Jason Hernandez at the back, or even Josh Saunders making save after save after save and then still letting in three goals because there's not a whole lot of help going on in front of him. This stuff is entertaining. And seeing Patrick Vieira cut his teeth as a manager is entertaining in and of itself. That's someone who I idolized growing up, one of the greatest midfielders of my time as a young soccer fan. And seeing him venture into managing. You knew it was coming. You knew for years as as a captain under Arsene Wenger, you knew that someday Patrick Vieira would be on the touchline. You knew that Patrick Vieira would be a manager someday. And, and Manchester City, with his relationship there as a player late on in his career, you know that they always want to keep him in connection to Manchester City. And hey, why not take advantage of this very unique opportunity. I know some people get very out of shape about calling NYCSC the the farm club or the the affiliate of Manchester City, but I mean go back and listen to some of the things that that Joe Tollison himself touched on there in in today's show and and what Manchester City is hoping for out of Patrick Vieira's time with NYCFC. And if you're a fan of New York City Football Club, know that as Joe touched on the, the long-term vision of Manchester City and the long-term vision of, of having Patrick Vieira someday be the manager at the Etihad or, or just be leading Manchester City at some point in his life, that doesn't affect the day-to-day activities of NYCFC. The day-to-day activities are all about that club in that moment in the Bronx or wherever they are during this Major League Soccer or U.S. Open Cup season because that's what it's going to take. And Patrick Vieira is all about it. You can tell. I, I feel like I can tell even from afar that he is fully invested in this thing. There is no half-heartedness. There is no just dipping the toe into the water here. Patrick Vieira is all about this. And it's a great storyline. I mean, I, I, sound like, I sound like Alexi Lalas right now, but it's a great storyline in Major League Soccer. I'll tell you what. It really is, though. I really cannot wait to see how Patrick Vieira does in his first season as a manager. And it's in Major League Soccer. How about that? Managing New York City SC at Yankee Stadium. Rest in peace. The great Bob Shepard. Public address announcer, announcer, announcer. My name is Nate Abarea. This is World Soccer Talk Radio on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. A sad piece of news For another manager, a man with a whole lot more managerial experience than the one we were talking about moments ago, Patrick Vieira, this man managed against Patrick Vieira many a times in the Premier League. Remember some great encounters between his Middlesbrough sides way back when and Arsene Wenger's Arsenal teams. Steve McLaren, Newcastle boss. No more. That's right. Cue the Sarah McLaughlin. No, Cuddy, back in the studio in San Francisco. You don't actually have to cue the Sarah McLaughlin. Everyone else can do it for you. 
We will remember you, Steve McLaren. It's funny because McLaren getting sacked at Newcastle, that dumpster fire of the North. McLaren gets the sack. I had McLaren pegged, and you can go back to the the August editions of World Soccer Talk Radio, and we had some very, very enjoyable shows. With uh, It was a one week where we had Rebecca Lowe and the two Robbies on, and it was just prediction after prediction after prediction. And I had Steve McLaren pegged as the first manager in the Premier League to get the sack in the 2015-2016 season. That ended up being Jose Mourinho. Now, let's be honest. I don't think any of us saw that one coming, but that's how it went. Jose was the first to get the sack, but McLaren finally getting the boot from Newcastle. And I'm dumbfounded because how did it take this long? How on earth did it take this long for Steve McLaren to get fired at Newcastle? It doesn't make any sense. He should have been gone months ago. Newcastle currently in 19th place on 28 matches. They do have a game in hand on everybody else down there, but 24 points, level on points with North City in 18th, eight above bottom-dwelling Aston Villa. That makes me sad seeing the villains down so deep in 20th place. I do not think they are going to be able to pull off a Leicester City-like great escape, but who knows? Crazy things have happened before quite recently in this Premier League down at the bottom of the table. But I love it. It's those, those Northeast clubs down at the bottom. You got Sunderland just above the drop zone in 17th on 25 points. Norwich City in 18th on 24. Newcastle with a game in hand, having played just 28 as opposed to Norwich City and Sunderland's 29. But on tw- after 28 matches on 24 points below Norwich on goal difference, if the season ended today, the magpies, the barcodes, the dumpster fire of the North would be going down to the championship. And I remember when Newcastle went down back in that 08, 09 season and they came right back up. It was quite the story. It was incredible. I think they got over a hundred points in the championship that next season. I watched so many of those games actually of Newcastle playing down in the championship. It was, it was incredible seeing the fans show up 53,000 strong for championship matches just supporting their club to get back to the premier league the support never wavered and and that goes back to the crux of this whole problem and the crux of the problem that is mike ashley that horrible horrible owner and we we always get asked i I get asked at, at this question at least quite a bit by many of my english friends who always ask me they say nate is there an american sports owner that you could compare to mike ashley and I try, and especially as, as a Californian, as a native Northern, Cal- Northern Californian, I think about this all the time, and I think of the, the Maloof brothers with, with the Sacramento Kings, and, and I think about Al Davis with, with the Oakland Raiders, but say what you will about those individuals, the, 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 we'll, we'll push away the Maloofs here for a little bit, but I hear Mike Ashley sometimes get compared to Al Davis, the, the late Oakland Raiders owner and, and the AFL head who went toe-to-toe with the National Football League. We know all about who Al Davis is, but I always tell my English friends that the difference between somebody like Al Davis and Mike Ashley is that Al Davis, through all his wrongdoings and all his mishaps and all his silliness and all his weirdness and his downright delusional nature towards the end of his life, he had a deep love for Raider football. Just win, baby, was what Al Davis was all about. I don't feel that with Mike Ashley. 
And I am damn sure that those 53,000 people who pack that stadium week in, week out to support, to support a 19th place team that is turning to John Joe Shelby as their captain, a man who hasn't even been there for more than a couple months, to support that team, they're showing up in numbers, strength in numbers, and they hate their owner. And all they want that man to do is sell the team. They couldn't stand the manager. They were begging for that manager to be fired, to bring anybody else in. And how McLaren stayed on till mid-March is beyond me. Be sure to get at me on Twitter on this, at NateWST. Get at all of us, at World Soccer Talk. How the hell did Steve McLaren last so long? And especially in the modern climate of, of owners who have, as, as my good pal Nick Webster would say, the patience of, of a wasp on speed. How in this modern age did Steve McLaren last 28 matches, last into mid-March, leading Newcastle? Those fans deserve better. I give a lot of stick to Newcastle on this show, on other shows here in our World Soccer Talk family, our Sports Byline family as well. Shout out to you, Rick Tittle. I have no idea why those fans don't get better. I mean, it's something with the soccer gods above us where the entire Northeast, Sunderland for that matter as well, but especially with a club like Newcastle, those fans get nothing. They get next to nothing, I should say. They're still in the Premier League, still a chance to survive. But they support that club with as much fervor, with as much passion, with as much full-blooded belief as any other club, as any other set of supporters in all of England. And they get absolute crap in return. They deserve better. Mike Ashley, sell the club. Don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But Mike Ashley, I repeat, sell the club. You have at least done something right, although you should have done it months ago. But Mike Ashley, you have given the sack, given the boot to Mr. Steve McLaren. So again, one more Sarah McLaughlin salute. I will remember you, Steve McLaren. He'll rebound. Stevie, you'll be back somewhere soon. And again, we'll always have fond memories of Steve McLaren as the manager of Middlesbrough. All you... England fans, not too many fond memories of Steve McLaren managing your national team, Euro 2008. How did England do in that tournament? And all you Newcastle fans, I don't think you are going to have too many good thoughts about Steve McLaren for at least the next few months. But if somebody could come in and rescue this team, maybe everybody will forget about Steve McLaren. Maybe Steve McLaren won't be the... the person that everyone wants to step on and, and blame for the latest downfall of that barcoded group in Newcastle. Perhaps there's a knight in shining armor that could ride in on horseback and save the magpies and keep them in the Premier League where they belong. Again, I make fun of you so much, Newcastle, but you belong in the Premier League. You belong in the top half of the Premier League. You belong competing for European spots. Who is going to be that knight in shining armor to ride up and start with pulling this club out of the mud, out of the quicksand that they're in right now and simply rescuing their season? Who's going to be the man that is going to rescue them from the drop zone? And we look at those four down there right now, Sunderland, Norwich City, 
Newcastle and Aston Villa. It looks like Swansea, Crystal Palace, even Bournemouth. It looks like those clubs are going to be pretty safe. Nothing guaranteed. Still nine matches to go, 10 for Newcastle in this Premier League season. But it looks like it's the four teams from 17 to 20. Again, Sunderland in 17th, Norwich City in 18th, Newcastle in 19th, and Villa in 20th. It looks like that's going to be the battle to avoid relegation. So that knight in shining armor that I speak of, he'll have to come in and rescue them from from that lot, hopefully have them up in, in 17th place, and then starts a project. Then starts, as we said, getting Newcastle back to prominence, getting the Magpies back into the top half of the Premier League, getting them back in to a European spot. Who knows? Remember just a few seasons ago, Newcastle competing for a Champions League spot. We go back a decade plus, and you got Newcastle competing for, for FA Cups. You got them competing for Premier League titles, even. And that was not that long ago. That is where that club should be. And who will be the man to start by pulling them from the quicksand and then taking them to the promised land? Well, it certainly looks as if it is going to be Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez. That's right. Rafael Benitez, back from the dead. Would you believe it? Back to the Premier League, Rafa Benitez will be heading Newcastle United. Varying reports here, mind you, and and everything that we've dealt with with player transfers on this show. Got to be very careful because... There's still varying reports. Some people say he's signed a contract. Some people say he's inked. Other people say, oh, no, it's it's not official just yet. And I'm going to do what I promised I would never do. Again, after the, the August and January disasters that we've had, not only yours truly, plenty of other shows and, and show hosts have, have had these same disasters of late. But I'm just going to say it right now. Rafa Benitez, welcome to Newcastle United. Good luck, Rafael. Can he rescue the Magpies? And then will the project begin? Will Newcastle turn back the clock and get in to the top half of the Premier League next year? Where can they go under the wise tutelage of Rafa Benitez? Oh, you see how it all tied in? See how we started the segment with the 2005 Champions League final liner? There you go. 11 years on, Rafa Benitez, the manager of Newcastle United. Good luck, sir. We're back after this to close this thing out. World Soccer Talk Radio. Steve McLaren's favorite show. Stay tuned. This just in, Steve McLaren has taken the job at Staten Island FC. Would you believe it? Oh, my goodness. What a great show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Joe Tollison, huge tip my cap to that man. Be sure to check him out on the Yes Network. Call in those NYCFC affairs. Those always exciting, goal-packed NYCFC matches. And again, check out all the programs on Sirius XMFC, the program director over there, Joe Tollison. My name is Nate Abarea. I kid Steve McLaren. I love you. I love you. Rafa Benitez from Real Madrid to Newcastle. Best of luck, sir. Hit me up on Twitter at NateWST. Signing off, World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Cheers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.